0: It's always a delight and a joy for me to be here at Phoenix Bible Church with you all. And it's been wonderful. I love you all. Love your leaders. And, uh, but I just love what God's doing. It's an amazing thing to see and to be a part of. So thanks for letting me be part of the ride. This is awesome. And I mean that. I mean, not, not just it's awesome. Like we usually use the word. I mean, like Grand Canyon, awesome. Like the birth of your first child, awesome. It is truly great to see the work of God, see his fingerprints on what I believe is happening here. But you're in a series in Galatians, which is a marvelous book. I love the book of Galatians. It's about grace Uh, not works, and not confusing those things. Uh, We all stand in the grace of God. And so we want to talk today about fruit. And one of the things to do, the scriptures we're going to look at uses an analogy. So I just want to start out with that with you a little bit. In my backyard, there is a tree. Can you tell me what kind of tree it is? Yeah, good guess. I mean, what's, it's like you got multiple thousands of things that it could be. You have no way of knowing. But if I were to hold this up, okay, this is a hand Starbucks bag. You say, "Oh, it's a coffee tree." Bad bad choice, okay? I don't think there are any coffee trees in Phoenix. If I were to hold this up, just some leaves, anybody have an idea? Any botanists here? What's that? That's a good guess, but let's go broader. It is a citrus tree, but it's not a lemon and it's not an orange tree. So you had opportunity, but if I were to do this, okay, what is it? It's a grapefruit tree. Yeah, you thought you were in children's ministry. You passed that a long time ago. We're back there. Okay, or it's either a tree that grows really big lemons. What can I say? Now, how would you know that the tree in my yard is a grapefruit tree if you've never saw the tree by the fruit that it produces? And that's exactly what the Apostle Paul is talking about in Galatians 5. But we're not here to talk about horticulture. This is not a botany class. We're here to talk about spiritual life and spiritual growth. And there's also an aspect of fruit in which we understand that if people see the fruit in our life, they have a right to say, "Well, are you a Christian or not?" Based upon the fruit that we see, the activities, the character qualities, the behavioral patterns that we had, because Jesus said, "By their fruit you're going to know them." You know, before I became a senior pastor when uh, at Desert Springs, I came out here after graduating from Dallas Seminary from. Uh, to to be a youth pastor at Camelback Bible Church. And so anyway, I'm there. And one of the things youth pastors do, which I want to do is hang out with kids. So a lot of times we do that ball games and other places like that. So I'm over at Camelback High School at a football game and a bunch of kids. And so we're talking, having a great time. And one of the guys comes up and one of his friends comes up to a girl and he introduces me to her and her. She went, you go to church? What does that tell you? tells you that what she saw in him was not really consistent with what she thought would happen in a church or by a Christian. Sad indictment. I'm glad he continued to come to youth group and he continued to grow in the grace of Jesus, but at that stage, it was not a good starting point for him. Barna Group in 19, 2007 did a survey and they found a primary reason non Christians reject Christianity is Christians. 85% of the people they surveyed said that Christians were hypocritical, that what they believed or said they believed and how they acted, their behavior, were not the same. There is a disconnect. Zondervanacademic.com has a blog that says this, and I quote Modern people contend the greatest proof that God does not exist is the behavior of Christians themselves. In short, the way Christians live and act is solid proof in their minds that what Christians believe is not true. So it's not just you. It's a tarnish in the name of Jesus if you claim to know him. So that's why we're talking about this today. That's why Gandhi said this, I like your Christ. I just don't like your Christians because your Christians are so unlike your Christ. The damning indictment, isn't it? but it's real. There's an evangelist and Christian apologist, and that's not someone who goes around making apologies for what they believe. An apologist, someone who's a defender of the faith, and this guy was really, really good. And he had a Hindu friend that said this, if this conversion you speak of is truly supernatural, then why is it not more evident in the lives of so many Christians that I know? That's a very, very poignant question, isn't it? Well, the name of that Christian evangelist An apologist, defender of the faith, who died in 2020 is Ravi Zacharias. And after he died, after much to do about all the contributions that he had made for the Christ, and I've read books, I have benefited from much of what he's done. I praise God for what happened. But three women came forth to say he's abused me it led to a four-month investigation by an outside legal firm into the allegations that were being made and they produced an 18-page report sponsored by Robbie Zacharias Ministries of substantial abuse of massage therapists both in this country and around the world. Horrific, horrific tarnish, not just on his name and the organization but in the name of Jesus. Don't think it can't happen to you. Don't think it won't happen to me. We need to make sure that that doesn't happen and we're in a fight. So that's what this is about today. I'd like to ask you to turn with me to uh, Galatians chapter 5. We're going to begin reading in verse 16 about this battle and about the respective sides of this. And I think it'll be pretty clear which side you want to come down on. Galatians chapter 5 verse 16 If you would read with me, whether it's digitally or in a print version, listen to what the Word of God says. The Apostle Paul says, But I say to you, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. These two are opposed to one another to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you're led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident, and it's a dark list. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality. And there's idolatry and sorcery and enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. This is a reading of the Word of God. Now let's talk for a few minutes about unpacking it. Honestly, I don't think it takes a seminary education or graduate level course to know the essence of what this passage is saying, isn't it? Saying, look, if you're a Christian, live like it. That's the guts of it. That's the heart. That's the soul of this passage. And then there's characteristics to say, I mean, there's this battle that goes on within us. That's what he's saying, isn't it? That we live in a body of flesh. We may be a follower of Jesus Christ. His spirit may live in us, but it's still in a body of flesh. So we got this tussle. We got this arm wrestling. We got this struggle going on. The things I want to do, I find I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I find I end up doing. That's what the apostle Paul says, also in Romans 7 and 8. He's saying, but here's the kill. If you walk in the spirit you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. If you get nothing out of today, know that. This is not hopeless. It's a battle, but we're on the winning side as long as we walk in the Spirit. That's the condition. That's the caveat. Then he gives these lists, what not to do, what to do, what shouldn't be, what should be, and that's what we look at in this passage. Notice it says this in the very beginning. I'm gonna say to you, walk in the spirit. You won't fulfill the desires of the flesh. Walk is a word that's used all the way through scripture. And it's a great picture of how we live. We live like we walk. We walk a step at a time, right? We walk one step at a time. Sometimes giant steps, sometimes baby steps. We walk a step at a time. That's the way we live too. One decision one action, one decision at a time. That's we walk. A walk is a controlled fall. So we walk in dependence, not upon ourselves, but dependence upon the Spirit of God. And that's the picture. He says this, and there's a a command that's in here, an imperative. And I'm going to say to you, walk by the Spirit. He's saying, live in the Spirit. And it's a present imperative, which means you do it duratively. It's a lifelong thing. It's not just something you do one time. It's something you do decision after decision after decision after decision. Step after step after step after step. Live in the Spirit. One decision, one, one action, one attitude at a time. And then it says, and you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. Okay, so I do this, and I can count on this is not going to happen. Well, the Greek language, and I don't know a lot of Greek. I know a little Greek. He runs a restaurant down the corner. Okay, so anyway, that was not one of my favorite classes in school, but I still know a little bit of it. And one of the things that always stands out is Greek is such a more precise language than English. For instance, the word "no." No has multiple levels of emphasis. One of my professors used to say this. He said it's like a young man who's asking a woman for her hand in marriage, and if he asks her and she says "may," that's the Greek word for no. It's like she just needs a little more coaxing. It's a soft no. If she says may, he better well say, "Look, I, I, I need to. I need to head to the door." If she says, meganoito, you better run because she's going to start throwing things. You get the picture that's there? And this is a double negative. It's ume. It means in no way. If you walk in the spirit, there's no way you're going to fulfill the desires of the flesh. So what's, what's the admonition? Walk in the spirit. Live in the spirit. The beautiful statement that's here. And he says, because there is this battle that's going on. I don't know if you know this, but when you come to Christ, you accept Jesus, you're born again to a living hope, God's Spirit takes up residence within you. It's not something that happens sometime down the road. That's a part of being alive. Romans says, if you don't have the Spirit of God, you're not of His. So we have the Spirit. The question is, does He have us? Does He have all of us? And so we are to walk under the control of the Holy Spirit. That's the issue that's at stake here. And so what's happening is, there's a battle the battle is the world system in which you live and all the stuff that pulls at us. The battle is our flesh, our old body, our habits, our patterns, our past, all these hassles and hurts and hang-ups that we have. That's all of the flesh. And then there's the devil. There's the outside enemy that wants to come and use those things to distract us and to get us going away that's not healthy for us, does not lead to our flourishing, and he wants to rob from us what he can He does not want us to have the abundant life as Jesus does. So that's the battle that's going on. Well, the Spirit's there to empower us to be able to live in a different way, not just to tell us what we should live, but to empower us to live that way. And that's where we get into this as far as the fruit that's there. Jesus had said this in John 15, whoever abides in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Look, we are not gonna generate these things. That's a work of God's spirit. We simply walk in them. We receive them. We choose to to follow Christ. Jesus said this, by this is my father glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciple. So what is the fruit that's gonna be there? Let's look at what it shouldn't be first. It's the fruit of the flesh. And I got a page out of order here. I apologize to you for that there i would rather skip the works of the flesh by the way <laughs> nasty the first grouping is sexual sin it is sexual immorality which the greek word for that's pornea does that sound like any other word that you know of like porn yes yeah, where we get the word it's illicit sexual involvement what does that mean what's illicit sex with anybody that's not your pal your spouse that's it bottom line scripture Virtually, physically, anyway, sex with someone that's not your spouse is considered sexual immorality. Impurity, that's uncleanness in word, thought, or deed. That could be, even be like jokes that have sexual innuendos in them. It's because it's out of the heart that we speak so the more we tease with some of those things oftentimes indicates impurity within our hearts. It's not of God. And then there's sensuality, which is open and flagrant. Some translations call it a debauchery. It's shameless parading of various forms of sexual sin. We see in our culture a celebration of sexual sin in so many different of our television programs, our books, our media, all sorts of places, it's not just acceptance, it's celebration of sexual sin. That's not, should be part of our lives. Then it goes into religious, idolatry is the word that's used here. Idolatry is really allegiance to any false god. It's looking to anyone or anything to bring satisfaction to my life, fulfillment to my life, flourishing to my life that I depend upon to bring me those things that I think I need. Anything other than the living God, the one true God is idolatry. Sorcery is oftentimes spoken as witchcraft. Well, I haven't been to any seances, lady. I haven't been doing, I haven't gone to the palm reader. I haven't done that kind of stuff. I'm good to go there, really. The term that's used for sorcery is pharmakia, which has to do, from which we get the word pharmacy, which has to do with drugs, mind-altering substances. Again, one of the things that's there that was oftentimes used in idolatrous activity is mind-altering to give that sensory experience. If we're doing that, he's saying, no, nope, bad, get back. The biggest aspect is relational or societal sense because these are the biggest things that are in our face day by day, every moment. Listen to what it says, enmity. That's feelings and actions of hatred. And it's usually between groups because the term is enmities. So it's talking about how we get sideways and suspicious and express hatred toward other people who represent groups that aren't like us. That could be racially, it could be gender, it could be religiously, it could be politically, all of those types of things. Enmity. Anybody see any enmity like on the internet lately? I mean, can we talk? Yeah, all caps and it ain't good. Strife, which is discord and divisions between people that's due to hatred. Jealousy, which is a self-absorption and lack of contentment. Sometimes that's really subtle. I say, I'm not jealous. You know, it's interesting. My wife pointed this out to me. She said, how many times do people come into a room and someone is saying, you know, we just got back from Hawaii. It was a great trip with our family. We've been wanting to do this for a long time. And it was just absolutely amazing. And they're, they're geeked out of their mind about what a great experience it was. And then somebody in the group, some, if your name's Debbie, I'm sorry, but some Debbie Downer said, boy, it must be nice. I wish I could afford to go to Hawaii. You know, I mean, what are they saying? Why you and not me? Why can't we rejoice with people when something good happens in their life without saying, tainting it and raining on their parade? But why not me? What makes you so special? That's jealousy. That's not of the spirit of God. That's of our flesh. Fits of anger, outburst of anger and rage, I really appreciate this book and the contents of it by Paul Tripp called Dangerous Calling. And we use it in the mentoring program at Phoenix Seminary. Tim told me that's one of the first books that's done of the elder training here at Phoenix Bible Church. And one of the things I really like, he's talking about as a pastor, it's a dangerous calling. And you get a bullseye painted on you, but there's also a lot of challenges. These are for pastors. If you want to put pastors on a pedestal, read this book. They'll get knocked off real fast. Matter of fact, he had people in the, in the beginning of this, there were five people that wrote an, an endorsement for the book. Three of them are no longer in pastoral ministry. One because of sexual sin, one because of abuse of power, one because of, I can't remember what the other thing is, but they're not in ministry today. It is a dangerous calling. But listen what he said in his self-disclosure. Very first words in chapter one, I was a very angry man. And he goes on to say how his wife tried to point that out to him. His response to her was his best defense was a good offense. What are you talking about? Angry? You don't know how good you have it. Guys, I want to tell you, don't try that. It does not work. You are stupid if you try that. He's a smart guy, but that was stupid. Can we agree on that? It ain't happening. His brother then points it out to him and some other people. And finally, he allowed the Spirit of God to speak truth into his life and acknowledge it. Outburst of anger, not of the spirit of God. I got to tell you, I'm still working on this one. I'm in, I'm in recovery. I'm doing better than I used to be with this issue. I hope it's spiritual maturity, not just a lower testosterone level. <laughs> so anyway, by the grace of God, still working. All right, so fits of anger, rivalries, which is self-promotion and positioning, even at others' expense. Dissensions and divisions where we quarrel over people or positions or, God forbid, politics. Think about it. How often are we divided and known by what allegiance we have with what group? And there's these factions, which were true in the first century. Paul had to deal with them, and they're true in the first, 21st century. That's of the flesh. Envy, which is a wrongful desire to possess what belongs to somebody else. And then abuse of alcohol and drugs. It clearly calls out drunkenness. That's excessive abuse of alcohol or any other substance. Now hear me clearly, it does, the Bible does not say you cannot drink alcohol. Jesus drank alcohol. His first miracle was to make water into wine and people came to him at the end and said, it's the very best wine. And I've had people say, yes, but it was not alcoholic wine. I'm going like, what? <laughs> what are you smoking? Okay, I mean, how could it not be alcoholic wine? That's what made it wine. It wasn't just grape juice, and they said it was the best. This was not some, never mind. Don't get me started on that. But the Bible clearly and consistently does condemn drunkenness and the abuse of alcohol or any substance. And by the way, that type of abuse has to do with food as well as other types of things. It's not just alcohol. And then it's certainly orgies, which is group drunkenness and excess. And to say this is not an exhaustive list, which is scary, it says, and things like this. And he goes on to say the people that do this habitually, it's a lifestyle for them, will not inherit the kingdom of God. Let me tell you what that's not saying. And there's whole lengthy discussions on this topic it's not saying that you lose your salvation if you find yourself doing any of these things if you do listen to the spirit of god and repent of it and get back on the track and you lose your salvation believe what it's saying is it's not characteristic for a child of the kingdom of god to walk in darkness as a lifestyle it is characteristic to walk in the kingdom of light as Jesus is in the light. So let's just leave it at that for the moment and go on to what does it look like? We look at the fruit of the spirit and this is what Jesus said he would produce in us if we abide in him. By the way, in John 15, the command is to abide in Christ, not to produce fruit we are to produce fruit but we're not commanded to produce fruit we're commanded to abide in christ and allow him to produce his fruit through us so that's a picture of that the first of the fruit of the spirit is love which is agape that's self sacrifice for another person's good it's not an emotion it's not whether we like somebody it's a choice that we make to act toward them in a way that's in their best interest. I love C.S. Lewis's statement about this in Mere Christianity. He said, the rule for all of us is perfectly simple. Don't waste time bothering whether you love your neighbor. Act as if you did. When you're behaving as if you love someone, you will presently come to love him. Whenever we do good to another self, person, just because he or she is a self made like us by God and desiring their happiness as we desire ours, we have shall learn to love it a little more or at least dislike them less. I like the honesty of that state, but we're not gonna like everybody equally. But by the power of the spirit of God, we are to act in love toward one another, whether you like them or not, and trust God with the outcome of that. Follow me? Great picture, and that's very different than the world's aspect of love. Joy also is a different one. Joy is a deep and abiding inner rejoicing, which is promised to those who abide in Christ. Jesus said in John 15, look, I've told you these things that my joy might be in you and your joy might be made full. This is the same Jesus who's going to the cross. And Hebrews 12 says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Jesus did not enjoy the cross. He did not skip to the cross. He endured the hell of the cross for the joy that was set before him. What was that joy? To pay the penalty and the debt that you couldn't pay and I couldn't pay so that we wouldn't have to endure the horrors of being separated in God for eternity. And that gave Jesus joy, even though it was difficult. A lot of the joy oftentimes comes through difficulties in life. Ruth Myers wrote a book called 31 Days of Praise. She was a young wife on the mission field with her husband, serving in Taiwan. Her husband contracts cancer. It's a horrible battle against cancer, which is a despicable and damnable disease. And she watched it happen. He died, left her with two small children on the mission field, away from family, not knowing how they're going to be supported. Listen to what she has to say in the foreword. As my human aloneness pressed me to love and to adore the Lord in new ways, He gave me joy in the midst of my sorrow. It seemed that God used sorrow and loneliness and perplexities to stretch out spaces in my heart for deeper joy than I'd ever known before, especially the joy of loving and praising Him. And she wrote this book in her words. With tears mingled with joy and gladness. Marvelous book. I encourage you to get it. You can tell by the shape of the books I like. They're really small. Not like there's a lot of pictures in them, but they're shorter and easier to read. This one is powerful 31 Days of Praise. Get it? Live by the, the words that are in it. Peace is another one an inner repose and quietness, even in the face of adverse circumstances which is different than the peace we get in the world. It defies human understanding. Let me give you an example of defiance of that human understanding. Johnny Erickson Tata, a young girl with all of her life in front of her, dives into the Chesapeake Bay, hits her head on something underneath the water, breaks her neck, she's a quadriplegic, has longed for and prayed that God would restore her health, and that's not happened even to this day. Here's something she says. Sometimes God, sometimes God allows what he hates to accomplish what he loves. She is one who has stood in the gap for so many physically challenged people to create Johnny and friends. God has used her in amazing ways to accomplish what he loves, even though the circumstances are something that he hates. When we have a confidence that we serve and we live in a world where there is a God who's not just an absentee landlord, but he is a loving heavenly father, it's different than fatalism of whatever will be, will be. It's whatever happens, happens for a purpose that he has allowed. It's Romans eight twenty eight: All things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow or know ahead of time, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son Jesus how does God define good it's conformity to the image of Jesus not our comfort and sometimes our discomfort is exactly what he leads to help us to become like Jesus give you an example how do you learn to be forgiving by getting shafted you can't learn to be forgiving unless someone's hurt you someone's wronged you someone's abused you can you You can learn you should, but you can't learn to do it apart from that lab. How do you learn patience? By trials. That's why we can say, count it out joy, my brethren. With James, when you encounter various trials, knowing the testing of your faith produces endurance. There's a greater good as a result. Patience, which is long-suffering under provocation. One of the, a great example there's a bunch of them but one of them is a guy named Richard McFarland we called him Mac he was a youth pastor at Bethany Bible when I was doing student ministry at Camelback 150 years ago I tell you how long ago was. AC didn't even know him <laughs> and AC grew up there well Mac as it came out of a guy came to Christ later he ran a motorcycle shop He used to run with a pretty rough crowd I mean he was not exactly the most patient guy in the world but he takes this group of kids to camp. There's a young woman that's there. She comes to faith. She comes back, and the mom calls and says, Hey, I need to talk with you. He's thinking she's gonna come and sing his praises. She comes and tries to rip him a new one. What? She was so angry. She was so spiteful. How could you do that? You're brainwashing my daughter. You're Mac listened and let her go, let her vent. And then he asked some questions and listened some more. She was so angry. Then he came to the point and he said, I, I just, could I say something? She said, guess what? I just want you to know that I love you and that God loves you. How could you say that? That made her madder. And she finally, when she calmed down, came back. She said, well, how can you say that to me? He says, the reason I'm telling you that is as obvious as meant as hurt and angry as you are has to have had some amazing hurt. You know, and I'm so sorry. You see how he didn't react to what she was bringing to him? He didn't get in her grill like she was in his? I love you. That woman came to know Jesus as well as her daughter, having come to faith in Christ, because he exhibited the patience of the Spirit in his life. What a beautiful statement. We need to show that type of patience, friends. If you have a spouse, let's be patient with our spouses. Honestly, the people we take the most liberty with, I I don't know why this is, I just know it is. The people we tend to take the most liberty with are the ones that are closest to us. Candidly, I can be more patient with people I don't really care if I see again or not. I'm just being honest. And I'm less patient with those people that my life would be in the toilet if they weren't there. What's that disconnect? Let's be patient with their spouse. Let's be patient with their children. Anybody that's had a child for more than like 30 minutes (laughs) knows how important it is to have patience. I oftentimes say it's obvious God gives children to parents to help the the children grow up. But what's not so obvious, God's gives children to parents to help the parents grow up. And patience is one of the key things. And as they grow, then guess what? They need patience with their parents. You guys aren't perfect. Tim already told you I'm not, so I might as well dump it on you. You are not. You don't do it perfectly either. And I want to tell you, I am excited and thrilled about the, the union of the two churches with Bethany. And I've had the privilege to be there and pastor and care for these people and listen to them and, and walk through it. And it's really grown. I was there some time ago. And now it's really a good group of people. It's, it's a godly group of people who have great hearts for the Lord. And I'm just so excited that you guys get to blend in with them because you are too. You just have a different span of the demographics, so to speak. But I want to ask you something. Please be patient. And I'm going to say it this way. Mostly, not all, but most of the ones that are there are older. And when people get older, they don't necessarily, uh, they're not necessarily more secure. They're not necessarily more patient. I say that as an older person. All right? But they've gone through a lot of loss. They've lost friends. They've lost prestige in the Phoenix community because of the decline that Bethany's been going through, and that hurts. Um, They're about to lose the name. I think Phoenix Bible Church is a great name. But you know what? It's been around eight years. Theirs has been around 75. Now put yourself in their place. You think that would be hard? It's real tough. Uh, One of the elders, we were in a meeting, and Tim and AC were there with us, and one of the guys said, I love you guys. I'm so excited to have you as our leaders, and I think this is wonderful. I'm excited about having a group come over with this vibrant and, and, and have this transfusion or infusion of new life into our church, and I think it's gonna revitalize where we are, and that's exciting to me, but honestly, I'm also grieving some. This is the only church my wife and I have ever known. And so there's something hard about that. So can I just ask you? Look, be patient, understanding, and if we do that, I'll say the same thing to them. Because things are going to be different. They're going to be new. They're going to be inconvenient. They're going to be hard. And it's not just that I'm going to be with you. The Spirit's going to be with you. I appreciate that introduction, Tim. But that's that's the key thing. God's Spirit has been with you, brother, and with this group through all of this. We simply reflect Him. We represent Him. So as you come, whether it's on worship on Wednesday night or whether it's as we gather together for Christmas Eve or whether it is, you know, the first gathering in January, look, let's love on one another. Let's be patient with one another. It goes on to say, let's be faithful or goodness and kindness. These are key things. Kindness is an amazing thing. It's just benevolence in action. And it's not rocket science. My wife and I, right after, there was so much racial tension in our society, especially with the death of George Floyd and a bunch of others that seemed like every week we were hearing about a different death of an African-American, oftentimes at the hands of police. And so there was just, you remember the tension that's there. We're in the airport in Atlanta, Georgia, and there's a young African-American guy sitting right across from us. And so we just started talking, getting to know one another. And I found that he played basketball at Georgia Tech, and he was in this business, and I found out about his family. It was a wonderful time on one of those layovers. And at the end, I said, hey, here's my card, and just want you to know, you ever through Phoenix, give us a call. Love to get together. If you need a place to stay, we've got, we've got a room. You, know, you don't have to pay. for. If, if you want a place, you're welcome to have, just give me a call. That was it. Just a good conversation. One day later, I get an email from him, And he said, I wanna thank you so much for your kind conversation. That's exactly the word that he used. What was that? It's just treating somebody with kindness like we would wanna be treated, isn't it? And it's reaching, it's walking across the room, it's talking with someone. Goodness is an internal uprightness of soul and external actions. Faithfulness is being trustworthy, reliable, consistent. It's what I think Eugene Peterson calls a long obedience in the same direction. The title of one of his books, a book on Jeremiah, but I love that phrase. And that's what I want to see in my life. I want a long obedience in the same direction. I'm not that flashy. I'm not that smart. I'm not that creative, but I can be faithful. I can be consistent. I can be loyal. And you can too. I think a huge part of why God has Phoenix Bible Church where it is today is because of Tim and Jay's faithfulness. through so many different places and steps. I'm thrilled that you have that type of example in front of you and pray for, for them as they go forward. A Friend of mine, Mark Buckley at Living Streams has shown the same thing. There's so many pastors that go to Mark. and say, Mark, can you speak into my life? Because I know you're a, a fellow journeyer. You're in the trenches and he's been doing it for a long time gentleness is being submissive to God's word considerate when discipline is needed that's what it says in Galatians 6 1 if we even challenge somebody who is walking apart from Christ we need to do it with gentleness and with humility over the years as a pastor I've had a lot of uncomfortable conversations and one was with a guy who was leaving his wife and his family for somebody else I sat down with him, I challenged him, he said, I don't get this, you're in my face on this. I thought pastors were supposed to be meek and mild. I said, meekness is not weakness. I was being gentle with them, but I was being firm because I was standing for truth. I said, this is not gonna lead to your flourishing and it's gonna be destructive to your family and it's gonna be destructive to your reputation to the name of Jesus. Turn from the direction that you're going in the name of Jesus. That's not weakness. We can do that with gentleness. And then self-control. It's a personal discipline. Having mastery over the desires of the flesh. 1 Corinthians 9, 7, Paul says, I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest having preached to others I myself should be disqualified. King James says, I buffet my body. Most of us translate that, I buffet my body. Spelled the same way, but very different. We bring our bodies under subjection so that we don't do. That's the reason why so many of these different individuals that wrote the endorsement for this book, Dangerous Calling, are no longer in ministry is because they did not discipline themselves. Paul says this to Timothy, he says, train yourself for godliness. The word that he uses for train is the same word from which we get, gymnasium. It doesn't just happen. Work. Work at it. Work it out. Train yourself. Discipline yourself. Discipline is one of those things that's transferable. If you discipline yourself by fasting, that principle of self-control can carry over when it's not food that's in nature, but spending wrongly or having sex with someone, or going somewhere on the internet you shouldn't go, or saying something that's not edifying. Self-control, self-discipline is what governs all of that. I want to tell you, and I didn't say this first hour, and I want to be concise but careful with what I say here now. Some of, the, some of you have wondered, why has Bethany gone through such a decline? And we can't wade into all those waters, but I'm just say this. I think part of it comes back to this. There've been a lot of people that have been hurt there and that's part of why I'm saying be patient, be gentle because the people that are remaining are not the ones who are guilty of the things that happened to create the decline. There have been people that have been hurt and abused in differing ways there. And I'm thankful for the board who really has said we wanna own that We want to acknowledge that. And the hurt and the abuse has been largely at a leadership level, both at the pastoral and the elder level and some others. But they've tried to own that and say, what did we do wrong? What has been wrong? That's one of the reasons they asked two of us to come in from outside of that community to say, can you give us some counsel? Can you give it? That shows a humility, friends, to reach outside and not to hide what's there, and they've been working hard to try to reconcile with those who have been hurt as best as can be done over a long period of time. You can imagine there's a lot of hurt. But the people that are now there really want to move forward in a new and different way, in a fresh way, and what I believe God's doing through you as well as them, is the com- combination of these two churches is a transfusion of new blood, of new life, of new vision, of new leadership resources. They're so desperately needed that a church that has had such a has been a flag church church in the Phoenix area will continue with the mission for which it was started, even though under a different name. Because, friends, there's really one church. You got that? It's the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's you and that's me. It's not a building, it's not a location. It is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ with your Christ men and women. That's you and that's me. So let's walk in the Spirit so we don't fulfill the desires of the flesh. And so that the name of Jesus is lifted up. Because when He's lifted up, guess what? He draws all people to himself. Now let's pray and ask him to do that through us before we conclude in worship. Father God, I wanna thank you for the truth of your word. I wanna thank you for the people that you have that are here at Phoenix Bible and the congregation that's at Bethany. I wanna thank you for the things that you're doing and you're working, and I pray that you will help each of us to walk in your spirit in a way that both is honoring to you and is helpful for us. Thank you, Father, for what you've already done. Thank you for what you're doing now. And thank you for what you will do. For we bring this to you today in the name above every name, that of Jesus. Amen.